Hello, and welcome to the Personality Psychology Podcast. My name is Lisa Lenamore, and I'm the host of this episode. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Joanne Chung, who is an expert on studying individuals' culture, self-concept, and emotional life during important life transitions. She is also the artist who was gracious enough to let us use her art for the podcast. Joanne works as an assistant professor at the Department of Psychology at the University of Toronto. I first met Joanne when she was still working at Tilburg University in the Netherlands, where she taught a course on professional development. Later, we worked together as the EGP media communications team, as well as on several other projects. Joanne, it's so nice to have you here. Thanks so much, Lisana. Thanks for the nice intro. And it's really, really cool to see where the EJP team has gone since I left. Yeah, it's been quite a while since we first met. And I remember when we, well, when I first met you in Tilburg, you were doing research on self-esteem and also on emotions. Can you tell me how you first got into personality psychology in general, but also into studying self-esteem and emotions? Yeah, without going into too long of a story, I've always been interested in emotions, I think, just as a person. So when I, uh, so in undergrad, I actually was not particularly like super focused on psychology as, as you kind of, you know, alluded to in the beginning of your intro. I actually studied art for a long time. So I was really interested in painting people's faces and was I, I guess I would describe myself as somebody who isn't so literal in kind of my depictions of people. I really like the feeling of the person or also just kind of their vibe. And so um, when I actually started becoming interested in research, one of my first research assistantships was in a lab that was focused on facial expressions of emotion and culture. So I worked with somebody at uh, San Francisco State University, and his name is uh, David Matsumoto, and he's done really great work on, you know, how are expressions of emotion, nonverbal expressions of emotion, recognized and expressed across cultures, which is really cool for me. This is like my first foray into kind of methodology and measurement. But, you know, like after doing that work for a few years, I reflected on, you know, what do I like about emotion? And I think I really like hearing about people's own experiences. So instead of looking at, like, how much do you recognize this emotion in somebody else's face, which I think is an important endeavor, it was really about that subjective experience or the phenomenology for me. It was really great because when I actually was applying to grad school and I applied to seven places, I think, and I got uh, into one. Thankfully, it was with uh, Richard Robbins at UC Davis. And he's just such an interesting researcher because at the time I didn't really realize this, but he's one of the few that kind of merges the study of personality and the study of emotions, especially like kind of that these distinct experiences of emotions together. So with uh, with Rick, I got very interested in uh, the experience of these kind of, uh, they're, they're like, I guess we would call them self-conscious, self-evaluative emotions like pride, uh, shame, and guilt. These are the emotions that require like some sort of cognition about the self 
And so if you're following my very detailed <laughs> description, then you might imagine that self-esteem is really linked to this, right? So it's like, how much do you like yourself as a person? Do you see yourself as competent when uh, thinking about you know, other people in your life? What is that global evaluation made up of? And, and to me, it's really about that experience of these self-relevant emotions. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I answered your question, but that yeah. is quite like... Uh, whenever I reflect, it's really like this journey from starting with looking at like how do how are emotions recognized, how are they communicated to how are they just experienced? And then the personality bit comes into it by by seeing that uh, dispositionally, like, you know, people can really differ from each other in their experiences, in their daily experiences of pride, for example, right? Their experiences of um, you know, guilt. So things like that. Sounds really interesting. And I also really like how your story seems, at least how you tell it now, it seems very continuous. So it sounds really logical that from your interest in painting faces, you got into more studying how people are perceived or perceive themselves. Yeah, that's funny that you say that. I think it might be one of those things where, right, like, as we grow as researchers and as we're kind of growing in our identities. So like, for instance, my professional identity, um, you know, it's it's easy to kind of draw those connections in hindsight. At the time, I was just like doing what I felt like and mm-hmm. being like, I hope that this works out, especially in graduate school when I wasn't seeing the link so clearly between like the work I was doing. So Um, Just to clarify, in graduate school, I felt like I was doing two different things. I was working on um, kind of dispositional emotion kind of studies. So I was looking at pride, I was looking at contempt as a personality trait. And then I was getting really interested in like longitudinal um, studies and just how to kind of track people's trajectories of like things like self-esteem and ethnic identity. So I was like not I was, you know, like as a grad student, we're, as grad students, we're kind of just like, oh, like this seems cool. This seems cool. One thing that I always remember that Rick told me was just like, you can kind of see like, at least the beginning of a grad school is like a buffet of things, right? Like you're going to go for your first round, try this bit, this bit, and then you go back for the second round for the things that you might like a little bit more. And then that, you know, maybe the third round where you're getting really full, you're just going to go for your favorites. And that to me was what I did. I just was going with it. And now that I reflect, I'm like, oh, it makes sense. And especially with, you know, uh, recently in the past few years, like people are really merging that long-term developmental perspective with more short-term intensive longitudinal kind of perspectives. And that really opens up a lot of doors and linking those things together. Yeah, definitely. I also really like your metaphor of the buffet. I think it's really nice and I think it's also it might be comforting for a lot of PhD students to know that you don't have to do the right thing you don't have to find the right thing right away and then keep on doing that but you really have this this period in your life to sort of figure out what you want to do and what you like most. It's funny when I think about like the work that I've done it's just always been uh, it's been hovering around similar topics over the past few years but of course you know, you kind of go for like, well, this is super exciting to me right now. So 
going to run with it. And then um, and then maybe at the time you won't see those connections. But like after you do the project or something, you write it up, you talk to your friends about it, you talk to your colleagues, you realize, oh, like there's there's this continuity there, either from the methods that you're bringing or your the perspective that you're bringing or just that, you know, you're drawing these links without without really knowing yet. Yeah, that's that's really nice. And you also mentioned that you really got into uh, this longitudinal development. This is also what I remember from when I first met you, that you were also really into uh, statistical methods and, and really excited about doing um, what I think was very uh, cutting edge uh, methods. And I really liked that you were so uh, excited about that and also excited about combining these methods with more content topics. So I have to laugh because it is it is funny, right? Like when we first met, like I was really interested in these. The time, like you said, uh, were complicated, kind of very advanced models of that attempted to get at describing like these complicated longitudinal data. And you're right. So like it's it's really cool to see like how much it's changed in the past few years. And I would say two things like. One, I've I've kind of slowed down on that because I think that it's weird because I, I, I identified as somebody that was so intensely interested in these things. And now I'm I'm kind of seeing the kind of the benefit of looking at qualitative data, looking small, starting off with maybe just more of like a yeah, like actually, you know, a descriptive you know, what's going on with our participants, what is going what is going on with their experiences, that perspective. And I think, you know, sometimes qualitative data is like just it's just so rich. So I've been learning more about that. And then on the other hand, because I have been involved in these studies, I kind of take a combination approach. So like I said before, that the short term intensive longitudinal designs uh, merged with a longer term you know, kind of more traditional perspective of yearly assessments or something like that, uh, trying to figure out how to best model that data, right? So like mm -hmm. all at different timescales, what do you do? And um, so it's been interesting for me because I've been learning a lot about qualitative kind of approaches um, and then also being like, okay, like what's the next thing for the data that, you know, I'm collecting of finished collecting, working with collaborators on. I think you mentioned that it's different, but at the same time, it also feels very similar. So you're interested in examining and examining data in new ways and learning more about it. So I guess in a way, it's just a different way of looking at data to learn more in ways that we didn't learn about this data before. I mean, I think what's interesting is that as I'm getting older in the field, I'm not like ancient, but you know, it's been, I think I graduated with my PhD in 2014. So it's been a minute. I think I've just become even more like humble about that there is stuff going on that we already, you know, these methods actually, they're not like brand new, right? So like people have been utilizing, especially qualitative the qualitative approaches I've been learning about for years and years it's I think what's happening at least in my perspective is that um, we're kind of zooming out a little and we're kind of being like well what's already here and I think that's super important because it gets into kind of acknowledging the hard work that people have done previously and kind of just integrating that and updating the ways that you know I kind of look at it as like 
adding to the methodological toolbox, but also making sure that like people's voices are included. I think that's a really nice approach to take. I think you're completely right. Very little of what we do and what we think of um, is new in, in like in the fullest sense. There's probably something new to it, but yeah, we're definitely building on previous people's work. Of course, we also worked together uh, for quite a while uh, for the EJP media communications team. But I think by now, maybe you've managed to take a step back and, and reflect on, on this long period. So I was just wondering, what role did it play in your professional development? Before I came to Toronto, I was actually in the Netherlands for almost six years. So yeah, so when you mentioned that we met each other in class, it was one of the first undergrad classes I taught as an assistant professor. So I came to the Netherlands from California, where, where I'd like been my whole life. And I came as a postdoc to work with uh, Yap Danison for about a year. And then I, I just ended up kind of staying around. And I would say it was really a cool experience for me because, you know, I'm Korean American. That's like my my ethnic identity. That's how I identify. And so coming to the Netherlands was interesting because, you know, when you like go abroad or you go travel, a lot of things that you kind of take for granted are just made very clear to you that like, oh, there's like differences even in, you know, maybe some people might be like, oh, the Netherlands and the United States are not so different. But, you know, you there are there are differences. And so I think for me, like just learning more about personality research, like outside of North America. And actually, this is going to sound so silly, but like I remember like being like European or journal, European Journal of Personality Seems really cool, but do I have to be European to publish in there? So I never like seriously considered it as an outlet. And I remember talking to Nietzsche back, who was editor in chief at the time, and to Yap Danison and being like, is this, yeah, like how, you know? Um, and so it was really cool because I was like, oh, there's like, there's so much interesting work happening. And I heard, I had already kind of like, like known about it because of the work I was doing is like, Right. Lots of longitudinal data analysis, lots of lots of that thing. And that the pioneers of this research in my mind at the time, right, were in um, Germany, in the Netherlands. But it was a really cool experience for me because I got to talk to scholars from different places, uh, work with you, um, which was really cool for me because, right, like I really enjoy mentoring and learning together. Um, yeah, it was a great experience to to expand, to learn. So if I'm thinking about professional de development, yeah, just just connecting with other scholars, hearing what they thought was important. So like, I remember one of the first things we did was just like create this template of questions that we might ask in our blog. Like, what do we want to know about personality scholars? And I always wanted to know like professional stuff for sure, but I'm always interested in like, how did that, how did this person get interested in studying personality? Uh, what do they like to do when they're not working? Um, like what's their favorite music? Just finding out about their personality expression as well, right? So that was cool for me. It made me feel like connected to people despite like having different backgrounds, having different perspectives and different ways of approaching you know, what makes people different from each other and why. It's a very thoughtful um, answer and also good advertisement for the European Journal of Personality. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was, I, I have appreciated my time at EJP. And then, 
you know, just being mindful to that, like, what I really liked about uh, when Mitya and, and, you know, our team started working together was that we wanted to really focus on early career folks. And, and I love EJP's mission even now, right, to like, really attend to that and to bring people in. Uh, so really on board with that theme. And, um, and I just think that EJP has been doing really great in that area. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, so unfortunately, our uh, shared adventure came to an end at EGP. But fortunately, we've been involved in other projects together. And I'm also aware of some of the other projects that you have been doing over the last few years. Uh, but can you tell me more about some of your current interests and activities, or at least the ones that you're especially uh, enthusiastic about? Yeah, thanks for the question. Yeah, this is like, it's an interesting question. I think that um, one project that has just been kind of really uh, the focus of my work for now I'm thinking it's been like almost it feels like I'll check later but it feels like three to four years maybe or even longer is the character project which was done in the Netherlands even when I left we were still doing data collection Um, so I was working with my team remotely along with my co-investigator Julia Lacalia who might be familiar to this audience. And um, yeah, so I was, I've was i been working on that project and that project in a nutshell is just a project looking at emotions and personality change in a special group of young adults of Syrian origin that have resettled in the Netherlands. And it was a project that it might sound funny to some people who have like this very long-term perspective on lifespan development, but it was a year long project. So it was 13 months. And what we did was we combined like a measurement burst approach with, you know, traditional questionnaires that were collected over four time points along with some other kind of, I think, yeah, we also collected data from the electronically activated recorder. I think for me, like from a narrative identity perspective, it was probably a turning point, like a very important turning point, because I think it really informed the way that I approach uh, research now. And so one thing that I am starting to do that, I've, uh, that I'm hoping to do at University of Toronto Mississauga, which is where I currently work, is to kind of take what I've learned from the character project and to apply like many of the, the methods, particularly participatory based research methods, and apply it to the study of personality development in university uh, with a special focus on racialized students. And in Canada, that's really referring to non-white identifying people. So getting a sense of like personality change with that experience of kind of social structures in the university. Yeah, I I really, because of course you already told me a bit about the character study before and I already heard a talk that you gave about this project and you already mentioned some of your new project to me, but I really like your approach of doing this participatory research. Uh, Also in the talk that you gave, you really um, gave several examples of how in the character study you work together with the youth in setting up the questionnaires and the the prompts. And I really, really like this approach. And I think it was really, um, yeah, inspiring. It could be and should be inspiring to a lot of people doing personality research. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I do want to I do want to acknowledge right that like this isn't 
new. It's just like combining or like integrating kind of stuff that's already been happening by like really awesome people, but just, you know, putting it together. So again, like, you know, you if from a methodological perspective, you could just be like, this is just another method to add to my toolbox. But also it really transformed the project, I think, for, for me. It gave us lots of insights about what the participants were kind of taking away from the project. And it gave us an opportunity to connect with them in, in ways that I think that, you know, in the past, like I have never, because either I was collecting my own data, like at one time point, or doing it on an online survey, or just um, analyzing data, um, you know, that was collected previously. So it was a really cool experience for me. Can you maybe give some of the some examples of the types of stuff that you did in the character project? Because of course, I know about it, but I think um, some of the listeners might also be very interested in hearing more about this. Yeah, I want to first say that there are a lot of things that we wish we could have done differently. So, right, and I think that everybody thinks this at the end of a research project. But I think here it's like really important because one of the things that we failed to do in the beginning was include so again, like remembering that the focus of the project is on the experiences of Syrian origin young adults. We didn't start the project with somebody who from that background, from that community in the project. And I think that's super important. So for anybody who's like curious, you know, this is important for many reasons, because then you can get you have a relationship uh, that is being built or already built, right? You can gain insights about what, like, the study design is. Is it going to be appropriate? Is it going to be something that the participants want to to do? Is it going to benefit their community? These are things that we didn't do right away. Uh, we did pivot, and it was really, really cool because we had wonderful, wonderful researchers uh, that were from Syria that joined our team. And we were able to kind of listen to them. And so some of the cool things that they suggested, so I want to give like nearly all the props to them because uh, they're so wonderful and very forthcoming with ideas. Some of the things that we did were um, just, you know, we tried to kind of offer benefits that were beyond compensation. So what does that mean? That just means that like, especially in the Netherlands, um, as an American, I was like pretty wowed by uh, the compensation that research participants get, especially, right, if you're, they're considered special populations, is that you don't want to offer compensation that will, that might be interpreted as like coercive. But we weren't even, I think like, from my perspective, I was like, but this isn't even hourly pay, right? So when we were thinking about this, because recalling that we had people participate in so many different things, so they had a questionnaire four times in the study, they had to do a experience sampling study three times, they participated in the year, like some of them did, um, it's a lot. And um, so we thought, okay, why don't we keep in touch with our participants with the newsletter? send them a small token of appreciation so we did this after every wave so four times and what we did was we sent them like newsletters that let them know where the project was how it was going uh, with some details about for example the first newsletter was like sharing resources for people you know who 
had refugee uh, status or were seeking refugee status, uh, so things like that, along with, you know, information, like little infographics about the sample of people that we were uh, able to meet and how many handshakes did we did we um, have throughout the duration of the study? How many cities did we go to, right? Just kind of sharing along the way how it was going. And then um, we did that. And then um, unfortunately, what happened was the pandemic happened, right? So uh, we were supposed to have a celebratory event at the end of the data collection that was in person, but we had to hold it on Zoom and it was still really fun. But yeah, just kind of creating a space for our participants to, sh to come and share and to learn more about what was going to happen with the character project? What were their thoughts on how it went? What did what do they think that, you know, we should do next? Um, kind of things like that. So we did that. And then something that we just wrapped up recently was a seminar series on different topics in psychology that different members of our team and others uh, put together so that our participants could come and learn about things like, you know, cultural identity and growth and collective leadership and expressive writing even. So we just wrapped that up. And right now I'm wrapping up a book of some of our participants' uh, artwork that they shared with us. And so this book is meant to be online and it's meant to be shared with various communities and just to be kind of another outlet of the experiences and the varied experiences of our different participants. I think it's super cool, all the stuff that you did. It is unfortunately true that in the Netherlands, I'm not sure if this is the same in uh, other countries, but the, the compensation is very, very low. In fact, I think it's, it can't even be like hourly wage, so it has to be lower than that. But So I think it's really nice that you found this way to give back to people in a different way. I think it's more meaningful to also get this these opportunities to engage with other people and also just to engage with the project and um, I guess learn more about the topics that are central to the topic for us as researchers but might not be so central or so clear to participants. Are these also things that you're planning to apply in this new research project, project that you're planning? One thing I do want to say is that that it was encouraged by the ethics. I, this is when this is when I was just like, this is awesome. Like my experiences with ethics committees have been really, really difficult. And sometimes I'm like, wow, they're really overreaching. Sometimes I don't know if you've had this <laughs> yourself, yes. Lisana, but uh, this was a this was a time where I was like, wow, like thank you for really pushing us and for saying, hey, like we really need to to think outside of the box. And I also want to thank, right, like our our colleagues and our research team for for helping to come up with these really cool ideas. So definitely I'm 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 intending to apply what I've learned. And I think it's interesting because we always think about special populations of people and we're like, oh, we have to do things differently there. But now I'm like, I don't know, like maybe I'm weird, but I mean, I'm definitely weird. But I think that in my experience, a lot of research would benefit from this, even studying university students, which I think a lot of people are like, why, you know, that's boring. Like, why would you, this is just like the norm, like we need to look outside of it. But I think especially in the context of, of the place that I work at now, the University of Toronto, Mississauga, 
there's so much to learn about our really cool students. There's a lot of diversity there in terms of many identity categories, but I think just learning about what do this, if I want to do a study on the college experience, what would the actual students want to learn about themselves? I think that's super cool, right? Because like typically, I think researchers are used to taking kind of a top-down approach because we're like, okay, well, we think this is theoretically important, so I'm going to study this. But what are we missing when we don't ask? Like, do you think this is cool? Like, what do you think of this, like, study design? Um, so I think that's what I, I really want to integrate, right? So co-creation is is the key for me, I think. Yeah, I really like that attitude and approach to research. And I think you're absolutely right that we usually feel like we should take this approach when we're studying populations that we feel are special or that we may not understand. But the truth is, I think that in, as researchers, we don't understand our populations in many situations, even when we were um, part of that that uh, group, such as these um, these university students. But I really like your approach. You already mentioned our mentoring relationship, of course, and I think um, you've been having many more very successful and very fulfilling mentoring relationships. Is this also something that's a big part of your work now? Yeah, thanks for the kind, kind words, Lisana. Yeah, totally. Like, I think, too, that, um, right, I've been, a, I've been an assistant professor for now like six years so I feel like I'm at that point where it's like I want to put out like the projects that I think are really important for me for sure like uh, but I, I really want to I think my orientation now is like I want to kind of help people get to where they want to go so I think that's generativity is that is that is that right kind of focusing on that is really it's it's the most fun for me and I think um yeah, hopefully my mentees also feel like it's fun, too. <laughs> well, I can only speak up from my own experience, but I really, really enjoyed it. Not just reaching the end goal of a research project, but definitely also the road to getting there. And yeah, I, I think so far, because of course we're still working together, uh, but it's been a really, really helpful and really interesting experience i've learned a lot uh, professionally but also definitely like personal growth so that's at least from my experience it was uh it's very very positive but um yeah it sounds like you're doing a lot of awesome stuff and also putting more awesome stuff out there in the future are there other big things ahead of you at the moment yeah so some big projects that i guess i've been working on i i don't know if if they're projects, but maybe just kind of recognizing, right, like I was just talking to you about wanting to create spaces within, you know, the field, I guess, personality science for people of, of all identities um, to kind of be valued in their contributions and, and their voices. So, yeah, so this summer has been pretty active on on those fronts so for example one thing that i i just did with really wonderful um people is our first meeting of ascend and ascend stands for asian pacific islander and desi social and personality scientists who care about justice and want to work collectively towards ending harmful identity-based violence and trauma that's a mouthful 
but it's really just creating a space for social slash personality psychologists who who want to come together and be in community, do science, um, talk about things that are specific to our communities. Yeah, to like just make our spaces better, right? And so I've just did that. And just been also participating actively in other groups where we're kind of working on trying to get people who are interested in anti-racist methodological approaches. So this is for people who are like, hey, look, I want to know, like, I'm interested. Um, How do you, if you want to take an anti-racist approach to research, how would you do that? It's a kind of a pedagogy group with a bunch of really, really cool folks. So I just did uh, something with that last week and um there's more stuff in the horizon there's also if i could give a plug to uh the canada srop this is the canada summer research opportunity program that just launched this year it's their inaugural year we've been working with bipoc students undergraduate students having them come in for eight weeks to to work with professors at university of toronto uh, to get some research experience to um, to to get a sense of what is it like you know if I want to get my feet wet in research what does that look like um, so that's something that I've been doing sounds really interesting and also like really great initiatives I also forgot I forgot that I am a co-organizer with a really cool committee for the Association for Research and Personality we have our conference online it's free you don't need to be a member to uh, participate or to register. And uh, that's happening in July, on July uh, 9th, 16th, and 23rd. So that's a big deal for especially personality scientists. Yeah, and it's really, really great that it's free registration. Super cool. So a lot of stuff still going on and a lot of stuff still on the horizon, perhaps more broadly, what, what do you see as the next steps for, for the field of personality? I think it's just kind of going back to the definition of personality, right? So like, I feel like most people that are interested in personality is that they recognize that people are different from each other, um, that we have different experiences, we're coming from different perspectives. So, you know, all the things that I was talking about today, and thank you so much for asking me about my orientation to research and my perspectives and also, you know, how I got to doing what I do today is just to acknowledge that, like, that maybe we can we can be more mindful of that, even in, on the like kind of meta level that like there's just going to be different perspectives and that in doing research and that they are valuable, that there isn't one way to get to the answer that some research questions might be better approached through maybe one or two methods that might not apply to right somebody else's so just kind of keeping that 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 individual difference approach or perspective in mind right one size doesn't fit all and um yeah i think that's i i think that's just like kind of my broad hope for for the future that I think that we're doing really great, you know, by launching these different initiatives to, you know, especially through EAPP and ARP, for example, but just recognizing um, that people are going to have uh, different things to bring to the table and that uh, they're valuable and that they're worth listening to, even if they haven't been included in the past. 
So basically taking an individual differences perspective, but then at the level of doing the <laughs> research. Yeah, and also, right, like we know as researchers, we have so many different hats, right? There's so many ways to to kind of, you know, you might think, oh, like, I don't want to put the spotlight on you, Lisana, but like as a graduate student, like how can you actually work on expanding the field or something, right? And of course, you you can do this in your capacity as like a research communications editor. And even when you, you have symposia, right? But we also review papers. We, we, like I said, we invite people to give talks. So it's like, who are we do? Who are we inviting? Has that person said stuff already? And it's kind of ironic because I feel like I've talked a lot this year, for example, <laughs> to many people. So thanks for having me on this uh, platform as well. But right, thinking of, of it that way and just, or citing somebody, right? Like, citing people, like making sure that we're just more intentional, I think, about really taking advantage of the diverse kind of resources are, that are already here. Yeah, I, re I really like that message. I think it's very important. And one probably many people feel like they know, but then in our daily experiences and daily doings of doing research, we sometimes forget, well, then we never have any change. So I think it's a good good message to get out there. Yeah, and I do want to say like kind of along the lines along the lines of what EAPP is already doing, right? Like centering and focusing on young people's voices, like keep doing that. Like that's really cool, right? People like us us folks that have already been around for a while, like it's hard to see. We may have like expertise in in some things, but also we're open. Like young folks have a lot to bring to the field. And so so, you know, kind of speaking up when you can and uh, sharing your opinions and your and your thoughts about research ideas and how the field is is working for you would be really I, I encourage that. I think it'd be really cool. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thank you so much for for this interview and, and for joining me today, Joanne. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate um, having this opportunity to talk to you and talk to the audience. Here's the summary of some of EJP's latest articles. I'm Rene Matus the editor of the European Journal of Personality. In this podcast episode, as usually, I will highlight a couple of recent papers published in our journal. I think it's pretty clear to most people that one of the biggest challenges that people, nations, and really the whole humankind is currently facing is dealing with the climate change. Regardless of whether we see this as a series of opportunities or a series of necessary sacrifices or both, this will require efforts from many, if not most, people. So, it only makes sense to assume that psychologists do their parts as well, in their personal lives and in their work. In a paper recently published online in European Journal of Personality, Chris Hopwood and his colleagues did exactly that. Using a large sample of New Zealanders, Chris and colleagues explored the links between environmentally sustainable attitudes and behaviors on the one hand 
and the big six personality traits on the other. And, because the participants had been tested multiple times over several years, they could also explore how the sustainable attitudes and behaviors co-developed with personality traits. The key findings were, generally, people became more environmentally mindful over years, which is obviously good news, and those with more sustainable attitudes and behaviors also tended to be higher on personality traits of agreeableness, honesty, humility, and openness. And what's more, some personality traits, in particular agreeableness, changed in lockstep with the sustainable attitudes, meaning that those becoming more agreeable over time also increased in how environmentally mindful they were. So, to some extent, the degree to which people hold environmentally sustainable attitudes may be a personality thing, and hence squarely in the purview of personality researchers. For more details, either see our website or read a recent blog post by Chris Hopwood at agpblog.com. In another recent paper, Using an experience sampling research design where people are measured at many, many time points over a period of time, Larissa Vietschorek and her colleagues studied adolescent social interactions. Specifically, they asked, are adolescents' personality traits linked with how satisfied they are with their social interactions? And if yes, could this link be explained by adolescents with certain personality traits perceiving their social interactions in certain ways. Larissa and colleagues found that higher extroversion and agreeableness on the one hand and lower neuroticism on the other predicted greater satisfaction with social interactions. And as they had hypothesized, these associations could be in part explained by adolescents' personality traits mattering for how they perceived their interactions. Again, for more details, Either see our website or read a recent blog post by Larissa at ajpblog.com. Finally, a new special issue just came out in the European Journal of Personality, focusing on personality dynamics at the workplace, and it was guest edited by Joanna Susnowska, Yuri Hoffmans, John Rothman, and Bart Villa. To find out more about this special issue, please head over to our website or listen to the April episode of this podcast with Joanna who was one of the guest editors of this special issue.